We started in August by issuing, the secretary signed out a overall set of policies around responsible acquisition and use of AI. And then our strategy has been that because AI is such a broad set of technologies, we're issuing specific guidance on uh, different types of AI technology. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an exclusive look at the work DHS is undertaking to lead in AI and how the department's CIO and CAIO is thinking differently about building and buying AI and ML technologies. It's Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. You might have noticed that FedScoop has been reporting frequently on the appointment of new chief AI officers across government. That's because there's not yet a public resource listing who's in those roles, until now. This week, FedScoop published a living chart of all the federal CAIOs who have been named publicly so far and shared with the publication through our outreach and reporting. Why is this important? Because CAIOs are responsible for both promoting the use of AI and managing its risks, giving them an enormous amount of power. The Biden administration has required agencies to identify their chief AI officers within 60 days of the Office of Management and Budget finalizing its guidance for federal use of the technology. OMB released a draft version of that guidance for public review in October. That White House memo, once formalized, will require CAIOs to coordinate their agency's use of AI, promote AI innovation, and manage AI risks while also serving as vice chairs of their agency's AI governance boards and determining which AI use cases might be considered safety or rights impacting. In other news, in part two of a series of stories based on an exclusive interview with Democratic Representative Ro Khanna of California, the congressman said he wants to ensure that workers within the federal government and the private sector have greater control over the deployment of AI and that the economic growth and opportunities that come from the technology are fairly distributed. Kana said that he would like to see workers better represented on the boards of AI companies and ensure that rank-and-file federal employees are sufficiently consulted when AI tools are rolled out within the government. And when asked specifically how workers could be given more of a seat at the table with regard to AI technology deployment, Kana pointed to creating legislation that could force AI companies and federal agencies to behave in inclusive ways. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. Back in September, before the Biden administration released its executive order on artificial intelligence, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas tapped CIO Eric Heisen to also be the department's chief AI officer. But long before that appointment, DHS and Heisen have been steadfastly focused on building out the department's use of AI technologies and, more importantly, ensuring that they are used in a safe, responsible, ethical, and unbiased manner. Heisen joins the Daily Scoop podcast now to discuss the new role and how DHS wants to lead in this space. Eric, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Billy. So, you know, you've been the CIO at DHS for a number of years now, um, but you recently received a new title, and that's Chief 
artificial intelligence officer. Um, so I want to start there. Obviously, AI is a massive uh, thing uh, in the world today, something that maybe a year ago it wasn't necessarily. But I would be curious, as you've taken on that CAIO role, what additional responsibilities does that add to your plate? And what is your vision for building out DHS's AI portfolio? Uh, absolutely. And AI is uh, top of mind uh, across the government, really across the entire uh, world right now. And um, adding the chief AI officer title uh, for uh, us at DHS has been a, a signal of how important uh, it is to Secretary Mayorkas that uh, the Department of Homeland Security lead in responsibly harnessing AI to advance our missions. Uh, this is not something that just started when we um, uh, when we um, uh, uh, added this title. Uh, this is work that uh, has been going on for many years. Many of our agencies and offices have been using AI and data science and machine learning in their operations for many years now. Uh, but uh, as you noted, with the the explosion of interest in generative AI uh, and other topics over the last year, uh, we've seen a need to really focus our uh, approach across the department. So this started in April when uh, the secretary created our AI task force uh, to uh, drive four specific mission applications of AI across the department, uh, and then it's only grown uh, in focus since then with President Biden's executive order uh, on artificial intelligence uh, at the end of October and um, uh, our, the establishing of this uh, new position. Um, it really means two things uh, for, our, for me. Uh, first, that I'm spending a lot of my time looking at our critical applications for AI across the department, uh, both those uh, areas of predictive AI that we've been using for many years, things like how Customs and Border Protection uses um, machine learning to uh, identify potentially suspicious patterns in border crossings, uh, to uh, some of our uh, newer exploratory ways of using generative AI, uh, along with a real focus on ensuring that we have policies and guardrails in place to ensure that all of our uses of AI are safe, secure, responsible, and rights-respecting. Uh, I'm also spending some time uh, advising the secretary and working across the department on uh, our broader mission in promoting nationwide AI safety and security uh, through some of the other tasks that we've been assigned in the executive order, um, like CISA's work. They just issued international AI security, cybersecurity guidance uh, with the UK, uh, like the work our Office of Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction is doing on uh, evaluating AI risks for chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats, uh, and some other areas uh, where it makes sense to combine our expertise on our internal use of AI with parts of our external mission. That's quite a lot going on, and it's really interesting to hear. And, and and I think what's notable is, you know, your your role has now, you've been in this role for nearly three months. It, it predates that EO that came out about a month ago. And I'm curious how that EO and the corresponding OMB guidance impact your office and your vision for AI, because you were in that role prior to those things. So were you anticipating those, or did they in, in any way sort of complement or supplement the work you were doing or change it in any way? Uh, well, as you can imagine, with any document as uh, comprehensive as uh, the president's executive order, um, the 
Uh, it had been in the works for quite a while, and uh, many parts of the department had been working closely with the White House and the interagency uh, for um, for uh, some time to on on several aspects of it. So we we were anticipating some of the requirements there. Um, I, I highlighted a few of those really significant charges that DHS has in the EO to promote nationwide AI safety and security. Um, and then when it comes to the the OMB memo, uh, we view that uh, and we'll, are waiting to uh, see the final version uh, as public comment closes, uh, but view that as very much in line with the steps that we have been taking uh, to ensure that our own use of AI uh, is safe, responsible, and rights respecting. Um, we started in August by uh, issuing uh, the secretary signed out a overall set of policies around responsible acquisition and use of AI. And then our strategy has been that because AI is such a broad technology uh, or set of technologies, we're issuing specific guidance on uh, different types of AI technology. So the first one that we uh, issued in September was around use of facial recognition and face capture uh, that puts in place um, very strong requirements uh, and evaluation criteria around any use of that technology. Uh, we're following that up with uh, work on commercial generative AI uh, tools, uh, and we'll build on that uh, using the overall framing that's in the, o the, AI the EO and the OMB memo to make sure that we have a comprehensive um, governance approach to uh, specific types of AI technology that are in use across the department. That's great to hear, and it's great to kind of look forward to that generative AI uh, policy that will come out later. I, I'm curious, you mentioned several times uh, Secretary Mayorkas is really vocal and supportive, it seems, of of really being, uh, you know, uh, a forward-leaning into this space. So uh, I'm curious, you know, how he's embraced AI. You know, obviously we've seen some of that, that guidance in his public remarks, but talk to me about, you know, as you report to him as a CIO and CIO, AIO, um, how he's been supportive of, of really leading in this space. Uh, absolutely. Well, the, the secretary is uh, has always been a champion of our workforce and of ensuring that our, our workforce have the latest and greatest tools uh, and are fully resourced to get the job done. Uh, DHS has over 260,000 employees that are at the front lines of national and homeland security missions uh, every day. We interact with more members of the public uh, on a daily basis than any other federal agency. And the workload that our employees have is only growing. And so uh, when it comes to our use of AI uh, within the department, the secretary saw very early that this could be a tool that uh, could uh, act as a force multiplier for us, that could um, give, uh, allow our agents and officers on the front lines to spend less time doing routine paperwork, more time uh, actually focused on their security missions uh, that would uh, ultimately uh, enhance our, our homeland security. And so uh, he was uh, very early, he was uh, using using chat gpt and other tools um uh, right after they were released uh in his personal life and asking me and others how we could be uh leveraging the benefits of those uh technologies uh to uh better uh empower our workforce and uh give them uh what they need to get their job done 
And, you know, just just a moment more on the topic of AI, and we can get into some other stuff after that. But, um, you know, as a CIO who's used to buying IT uh, in, in, you know, a, a, a very consistent fashion, obviously the cloud changed that up a bit, but, you know, largely buying IT is buying IT. Um, is there any different sort of mindset or approach you need to take when thinking about buying or building um, an AI tool versus something that's a little bit more traditional of an IT focus? Uh, well, we've been buying AI tools and, and capabilities uh, and building uh, them for, for many years. Um, but when I think about our uh, acquisition and our technology strategy approach to our own uses of AI, um, I, I really think uh, about um, two pretty critical things. Uh, the first is um, explainability, and the second is interoperability. Uh, we, we get pitched a lot of black box AI models. Uh, a vendor will say, uh, oh, our, our model will solve your problem, but we, we can't tell you how it works. Uh, and that's not going to fly for the Department of Homeland Security uh, or, or the federal government. We, we need to know and we have an obligation to uh, know, and, uh, know and understand among our federal workforce how the algorithms that we are relying on function and how they are making the decisions that they are uh, that they are coming to. Uh, so that is um, uh, a pretty critical uh, factor for us, um, and is something that we uh, wrestle with when uh, with the current state of large language models in particular, where there are some aspects of uh, LLMs where even uh, the labs themselves say they're not quite sure how their models are reaching some of the decisions that they uh, that they reach. Uh, and so that's something that we're wrangling with that is pretty different for uh, particularly generative AI from other types of IT acquisition uh, and uh, that we're, we're going to need to continue to work on with industry. Um, the second big one is interoperability. Uh, AI makes data interoperability even more critical than it already was. Uh, we cannot effectively leverage AI and uh, get the benefit of machine learning on top of our data sets if our different data uh, element, data sets are siloed in individual systems uh, or databases. Uh, obviously, we uh, work very closely with our privacy office and ensure that we are uh, only sharing data within the department that uh, we have the appropriate authorities to share, but when we do, uh, we need to be sure that we don't have technological barriers in place to data sharing and data interoperability. Uh, and so we are going to be taking a very direct approach in how we acquire uh, AI systems as well as uh, systems that manage data that will feed into our AI systems to ensure that we are um, interoperable from day one and that we are not uh, locked into specific proprietary data formats or standards or systems. And, and just to close out on the topic, you know, you mentioned the generative AI guidance that um, is in the works, but anything else that listeners should keep an eye out for or just generally know about how the department is approaching AI moving forward? So in addition to that guidance on um, how our employees use commercial generative AI tools. We're also uh, starting to experiment with building generative AI uh, applications ourselves, uh, both in-house as well as through our, of course, through our industry partners. 
And uh, what we're really looking to do there is learn. Uh, I want a portfolio of AI projects that use models from different companies uh, that let us understand what the benefits uh, of uh, different types are, that use some closed proprietary models, that use some open source models, uh, that test out different ways of deploying these models, uh, some that might be uh, shared commercial cloud instances, some that we might deploy on our cloud infrastructure, some that we might uh, deploy in-house on our own hardware. Um, we're really in a learning mode here uh, and uh, are looking to um, try uh, many different things technically, uh, which is, as I've talked with uh, other CIOs across government and across uh, the private sector, I, I think really the mode everyone is in. We want to be... Um, uh, maximizing our ability to learn uh, on how we can uh, leverage these technologies in support of our mission. And then, Eric, to close out, you know, we talked a lot about AI, um, but that's obviously just one piece of the larger puzzle that, that goes into DHS IT. And another major piece that you've focused on in recent years is, is that area of customer experience, citizen experience, really maximizing the digital engagement that people have when they come to the department. So um, I know there's a lot of progress that's happened there, but if, if you could briefly tell us um, some of the success in, uh, in that space and sort of where you want to take it next. Of course. Uh, well, one of our biggest successes to date has been establishing a permanent customer experience office at DHS uh, headquarters, led by the incredibly talented Dana Chisnell, who I uh, was uh, thrilled to be able to uh, poach from uh, the U.S. Digital Service to come work with me again uh, here. Um, and uh, they have been building a real practice and culture of customer experience all across the department. Uh, but what's more important than that is what those wins actually are for customers. Uh, last year, we announced that we had eliminated over 20 million hours of uh, paperwork and administrative burden that our services place on the public every year through our burden reduction initiative. Uh, we recently uh, announced that we're going to be targeting uh, eliminating another 10 million hours uh, this coming year and making this an annual uh, practice of setting targets for reducing burden on the public. Uh, and we've seen some really impressive work from our agencies and offices on improving their key services. Uh, FEMA rolled out a streamlined disaster assistance application built on strong foundations of customer research that uh, shaves a significant time off uh, the uh, process of applying for disaster assistance uh, when we're really excited about that. And then U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has been uh, doing some really incredible work rolling out new self-service tools for their, for their customers that are uh, slowly but surely whittling away at the number of things you have to call or visit an office to do uh, and are um, enabling those that are navigating our, immig our immigration system uh, to have a uh, more seamless and straightforward experience uh, and also allowing USCIS's officers to uh, ensure that they're spending time not answering routine questions, doing routine tasks, but um, focused on preserving the integrity of our immigration system uh, in their work. Uh, so those are a few of the things we've uh, that that we've seen in the last couple of months 
uh, and it will be a big 2024 for uh, for more key uh, service improvements across the department. Yeah, I'm sure we could talk a lot more about that, but I know you're a busy guy and I got to let you go. So uh, thank you so much for the time today. It's been a fantastic uh, uh, look into what DHS is doing in the, the areas of AI and CX, but uh, I'm sure there's more to come and I really appreciate what you shared with us today. Yep. Thank you, Billy. Happy to talk anytime. You can learn more about AI at DHS at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.